tonight we are starting Romans chapter 7. And Romans 7 is perhaps one of the most wrongly understood chapters in all of the Bible. It's a chapter that many Christians use to justify continuing in sin. So we're going to study Romans 7 tonight, and we are going to see if, in fact, Paul is saying that sin is inevitable in this life. So we will get there. I'm going to be using the whiteboard as well, so I'm going to pull that over here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a recording, but it's not a mic. So I'll, I'll speak up. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So Romans 7. <clears throat> and I'm actually going to read um, what E.J. Wagner says at the beginning of the chapter of the book that he wrote as a commentary on the book of Romans. And by the way, if you haven't ever read this book, actually, I'll admit, I have really not. So the studies we've been doing are my own study. It's not Wagner's study, but it's probably at least theologically in agreement, if not point by point in agreement. But anyway, the book is Wagner on Romans, and it's published by Glad Tidings Publishers. So chapter 7, this is how he starts off by saying, The seventh chapter of Romans is really all contained in the sixth. He who understands the sixth chapter will have no difficulty with the seventh. By Christ's obedience, we are made righteous. This is because his life is now given to us and he lives in us. And then the second paragraph, he says, This union with Christ we get by being crucified with him. In that death, the body of sin is destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, or in other words, that we should no more transgress the law. So closely are we identified with sin, it being our very life, that it cannot be destroyed without our dying. But in Christ there is no sin, so that while we have a resurrection with him, sin remains dead. So, being raised with him, we live with him, a thing that was formerly impossible on account of sin. Sin cannot dwell with him. So so that sounds somewhat similar to what we are talking about in Romans 6. So on the basis of that, he was basically summarizing Romans 6. On the basis of that, when we get to Romans 7, now Paul's going to give a further description of what he was talking about in Romans 6. And really, the key of Romans 6 is being dead to sin. So, Romans 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. So, the audience that Paul is speaking to here, they know about God's law. He's not speaking to the heathen who've never heard of God. And in verse 2, continuing, it says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband 
So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress, but if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So verses 2 and 3, we're going to unpack this a little bit. <clears throat> and in all fairness, I will say that I got a couple of ideas from Wagner on these points. Up until this point, I hadn't, but we'll give credit where credit is due. And Wagner was a man used by God. So I have no problem saying that I got some of these ideas from him. So if you look at Romans 7, the subject matter, we have a woman and, a, and her husband and another man. And then we, talk, then we talk about Christ and being married to another in verse 4, which we haven't gotten to yet. But let's just make this illustration. So we have a woman married to her husband. And then down here we have another man. So <clears throat> according to the law, as long as this woman is alive and as long as her husband is alive, according to the law, she is bound by that law to be married to her husband. Now, it's interesting that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, <clears throat> in verses 31 and 32, it talks about how a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So there's some key points here. On a literal, physical level here on this earth, in the eyes of God, when a woman is married to her husband, they are one flesh. And it gives the idea that when you're one flesh with someone that you do the same thing. Now, Ellen White talks about how it's important for us that are married to preserve our individuality, and that's true. But in the spiritual sense, speaking of marriage, the husband and the wife are one flesh, meaning that they're on the same path and they do the same thing. And, of course, in Ephesians 5, it says, Women, um, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So the woman, and, you know, Paul's following the spiritual um, model here, and I know I'll get in trouble in some camps for saying this, but we're, we're trying to be biblical here. It talks about the woman being bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, and they too are one flesh. We're not going to get into a major issue about um, the role of women and men, but um, we can another time if you want. So according to the law, the woman is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. And then the second part of verse 2 says, But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So if her husband dies... She's still living, 
she clearly is no longer one flesh with someone who is dead. So <clears throat> she's loosed from the law of her husband. Verse 3, though, it says, So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So let's make this clear here. Let's say we remove this X and her husband is still living. Let's say that he's still alive, but somehow she got married to another man and he's still living. According to the Bible, that makes her an adulteress. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and let's be very clear. Jesus made it very clear that in the case of adultery, if you're the, the grieved party, you have the right to marry someone else. That's biblical, according to Jesus. And of course, he says it's because of the hardness of men's hearts. It's not really according to the will of God. And again, we're not going to spend too much time on this point. But let's just make it clear. Um, even in the Adventist church today, and I just make this as a point, people have lost sight of the significance of divorce and remarriage. It's almost like dating. That didn't work out, so now I go to someone else. But the Bible is very clear. When you are married, as long as the other one lives, you are one flesh. Except in the case of adultery. So then, if this woman marry someone else while her husband is living and he did nothing to deserve the divorce, she's called an adulteress. Now, the question then is, why is Paul spending time talking about the law of marriage with respect to righteousness by faith? We've been talking about being dead to sin, being alive in Christ to live in newness of life. <clears throat> And all of a sudden, verses 2 and 3, we're talking about the law of marriage and a woman being married to another man while her husband lives. What does this have to do with righteousness by faith? Well, actually a lot. Let's look at verse 4. See, he starts off with the word wherefore. So he's summarizing the first three verses. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And then verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So verse 4 says, we are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him. Now, <clears throat> let's make this diagram. Paul says ye should be married. I'm going to use the word you. And there's another. And... In verse 4, it talks about being married to another. So here we have a woman being married to another man, but if her husband's still alive, she can't be without being called an adulteress. Here, 
we are supposed to be married to another who is that Paul says it's Christ but he says when you were in oh, excuse me when you were in the flesh in verse 5 he says when we were in the flesh the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death now if you recall in Romans 6 the wages of sin is death and being a servant to sin is death the fruit is death so what Paul is trying to say is that we in our natural condition are married to the flesh specifically the old man how do I know that because in Romans chapter 6 verse 6 it says knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin verse 7 for he that is dead is freed from sin and we've spent a lot of time I mean I've spent probably the majority of our time when we've discussed Romans 6 talking about being dead to sin so we've spent a lot of time talking about being dead to sin and let me just summarize again briefly Romans 6 when we are dead to sin we are justified that's verse 7 and in verse 6 we see that the similar word to being dead is being crucified and what is being crucified in verse 6 of Romans 6 it's our old man and when our old man is crucified guess what <clears throat> you can be married to another even to Christ and notice what it says in verse 4 it says even to him who is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God now notice this we're married to Christ who is raised from the dead have we talked about that in Romans 6 uh, yes. in Romans 6 verse 4 it says therefore we are buried with him by baptism to death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life so do you see how Romans 7 is just continuing with the same idea so Romans 7 he's crystallizing this even further were buried with him by baptism into death Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father we're raised to walk up in newness of life our old man is crucified with Christ Christ was crucified but Christ was resurrected our old man is crucified and then we are raised up to walk in newness of life because we are dead to sin does that make sense so here is a key point <clears throat> when the old man is dead that means he's been crucified and remember in Galatians 2 20 Paul says I am crucified with Christ when the old man is crucified that means 
that according to the law, spiritually speaking, we can now be married to Christ. And when we are married to Christ, again, that means the old man is crucified. That means we are dead to sin, which means that we are justified. Exactly. So the you, when the old man is crucified, is now a new creature. And I'm glad you brought that point up because we know that Paul says, help me, is it First or Second Corinthians 5.17, if any man be, a new, be in Christ, he is a new creature. Is it Second or First Corinthians? Second Corinthians? Okay. I, I want to be accurate, and I should know that. But 2 Corinthians, yes, 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the, the new you, so to speak, is a new creature who was raised up to walk in newness of life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And we also talked last week about being planted together in the likeness of his death, how Christ was the corn of wheat that d fell into the ground and died. He was crucified, but because he, he died, John 12, 23 says he brings forth much fruit. And here in Romans 7, 4, it says that we are married to another, even to him, Christ, who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So there again, we see the concept that when we are, the old man is dead, when we are crucified, when we're married to Christ, when we're a new creature, we bring forth fruit unto God. And without spending too much time on this, remember Galatians talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all those things. <clears throat> when you're a new creature in Christ, when you're dead to sin, that is who you will be. So if you teach all the right theology and you're the grumpiest person, you're impatient, you're always snapping, you may have a head knowledge, but you're not a new creature in Christ. And, and God wants us to be the nicest people to be around. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. So, key point then. What happens... If you, here in Romans 7, say that you are a Christian married to Christ, and yet secretly you're still meeting up with the old man. Now, you can come to church, and hey, how's it going? Great. Praise the Lord. It's, God is so good. But you know in your heart who you are. God does too. Now, we can all do a pretty good job most of the time. And, and I, I believe that most of us, if not all of us here, are sincerely married to Christ. But this is in the Bible and we're talking about it. If we say we're married to Christ, and yet <clears throat> when we go home... Instead of having the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, all of those things, we're grumpy, impatient, selfish, short-tempered, all of those things, then we're not really married to Christ even though we say we are. And what's actually happening is we're saying we're married to Christ when we're actually married to someone else and we're committing spiritual adultery.
and think about this. Christ, and of course the Bible says that he was made to be sin and who knew no sin. Christ is not going to dwell with you if you're still married to someone else. Or think of it this way. Christ will not commit adultery. If you're married to someone else, he's not going to be married to you in the spiritual sense. So if you're still married to the old man, Christ is not married to you. Now, let's break down the significance of that. If Christ is not married to you, that means you're not a new creature. That means you're not crucified. That means you're still married to the old man, which means that you're not dead to sin, which means that you're not justified. Pretty simple. That's the biblical understanding of this is justification, this is not justification. And somehow, um, even within Adventism, most people believe that to be justified is to be covered with the righteousness of Christ while you're still sinning. And without realizing it, what most people are saying then is that you're basically committing spiritual adultery all the time while still being covered with the righteousness of Christ. Namely, you take on the name of Christ, you say you're a Christian, and yet you're still married to the old man. And according to Romans 7, that means you're guilty of spiritual adultery and you're not married to Christ. And if you're not married to Christ, you are not justified. I mean, I don't... Just going through, we've gone from Romans 1.1 to Romans 7.5. I don't know how you could honestly assess the book of Romans and say that you're justified while still sinning. I mean, I believe people are sincere in saying that, many of them. I don't think it's intentionally dishonest or devious, but it's not true. And why is this important? Because if you're not justified... You're not saved. And I, what's that? Or you're not going to be saved, exactly. And I love my church. And I don't want to see people in our church lost because they were given a misrepresentation of the gospel. I don't want to see that happen. I mean, the Bible is so clear about what justification is. Justification is being dead to sin and living a new life in Christ, being crucified with Christ, and the old man is dead. Case closed. And then sanctification, which is a work of a lifetime, is the dying daily to keep the old man dead. That's why it takes the rest of your life. You are justified today, but tomorrow the old man wants to have a resurrection and get married to you again every day. And so every day we choose, no, I'm married to Christ. That's, that's the choice we have. Exactly. Paul says, I die daily in 1 Corinthians 15. And husbands and wives have the same choice every day. Now, I do believe that, well, for most, if you find the right person, it shouldn't be um, difficult. And that's a good illustration. It should not be difficult to choose to stay married to the right person every day. You're, you're married to the right person. I mean, you know, I saw in the news about John Edwards, and not to get off on that, but it's like, you know, 
that's all it takes to, to fall, you know, have mercy on us if, if, if people fell that easily every time. You know, and there's no excuse. Some people think justification and sanctification are like two different entities that uh, never meet. Mm -hmm. But in all actuality, they meet every day. Right. There's no separation between the two. Right. Because justification is what brings us into a, a spirit of sanctification. And mm -hmm. they work together. Right. They don't, they don't separate. Right. They don't work contrary to one another. Exactly. So... Just to repeat, um, for purposes of the recording, Dwayne was saying some people think that justification and sanctification are separate from each other, when in reality they work together to the same goal. Sanctification maintains your justification. You maintain that consecrated with, walk with God every day. Now, there's one other thing that I want to point out. Now... <clears throat> Remember in Ephesians 5, we talked about how the, um, the husband, let me get this correct here, um, verse 31, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this is a great mystery. And my wife's not here, so maybe I can get away with a few things. No, just kidding. But really, how it's a mystery. You bring two human beings from different homes, raised by different parents, even if the values are the same. And Lord have mercy on those who try to get married when you have different values and totally different viewpoints. Even when you have the same values, the same viewpoints, when it comes to the daily life, and for all of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. You bring two people together, how can they become one flesh? It's only by God's grace. It's a mystery to make two people, two people with fallen human natures, who, <clears throat> whose natural inclination is to walk not after God, but after their own inclination, to then bring them under the control of the Holy Spirit and then they learn not only to live their life according to God's way, but they both learn to do that together and to be one flesh. That's a mystery. You cannot do that of your own strength. It's only by God's grace. It's called, it's a mystery to us, but not to God, of course, which is why it's called the mystery of God. And he says, this is a great mystery, but notice this. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So look at this. We'll put this up here. The mystery of God is, at a basic sense, two human beings becoming one flesh. But at the, in the greater sense, it's the church and Christ becoming one flesh. Okay? So now, do you see the connection with Romans 7? <clears throat> the illustration of a husband and a wife being one flesh is the illustration of Christ and the church becoming one flesh. Now, 
<clears throat> how does the, the church and Christ become one flesh? It's by the old man being crucified. Now, remember Revelation 10:7? says that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished what's the mystery of God Christ and the church becoming one flesh now some say oh well yeah Colossians 1:27, Christ in you the hope of glory exactly guess what happens when you become married to Christ the old man becomes crucified and in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the mystery of God. Christ and the church becoming one flesh. And that's justification by faith. Because when you are crucified with Christ, you are dead to sin. And Romans 6.7 says, he that is dead is freed from sin or justified. So again, I've mentioned this before and I mentioned it last week. But do you realize what the purpose of the Seventh-day Adventist movement is? The purpose of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, which will happen while the seventh trumpet is sounding, and by the way, if you read Revelation 11, the seventh trumpet began to sound October 22, 1844, when Jesus went into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. The purpose of the Seventh-day Advent movement is for this movement, the church, to become one flesh with Christ, which means that his people must be crucified with Christ so that the old man of sin might be destroyed so that Christ may live in us because Christ will not live in someone where sin dwells. Where sin is, Christ leaves. Where Christ is, sin leaves. So again, our purpose and our mission and our reason for existence is for the mystery of God to be finished in us Christ in you the hope of glory and it's corporate and we talked about this last week how that the the servants of God will be sealed in their foreheads but until they are the four winds are being held back and we saw who the servants of God are in Romans 6 they're the ones that are dead to sin the ones who are justified so it all links together and it's really powerful if you think about this but the mystery of God is Christ and the church becoming one flesh and that can only happen when the old man is crucified when the old man is crucified then you can be married to Christ and when you're married to Christ you're one flesh with him just as when a husband and wife are married they too become one flesh but the greater mystery is the church and Christ becoming one flesh and in a human sense, I'll say this. <clears throat> if you look at us as weak, sinful human beings, how in the world are we going to become one flesh with Christ? How in the world? I'll just point out one verse to you, two, actually two verses, and it's Romans 8, 3, and 4. <clears throat> Romans 8, 3 and 4 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In In us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So Jesus Christ takes upon himself humanity in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's not the likeness of sinless flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh. And in Philippians 2, it says he took upon him the likeness of men. Was he really a man or was he not? So because of that, sin was condemned in the flesh. That's the flesh that we live with. And it's more than just flesh and bones, blood and red blood cells running around. We're talking about the the Greek word is sarks, which includes the nature that we have. And because he took upon himself our nature and he condemned sin in our nature, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now let me ask you this. If you're walking not after the flesh but after the spirit, what happened to you? You became a new creature, the old man was crucified, and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. And because Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, the power is now there for, for us to have that same experience. It's also John 3. Yeah, John 3, exactly. So, how is this mystery going to be finished? You know, Ellen White says, and I've quoted this many times, God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. The question is this, and you can ask yourself the question, have you surrendered 100% to Jesus Christ? Not 99.8%. Like, God, you have everything in my life except for the way I dress. God, you have everything in my life except for what I watch on TV or what I allow myself to look at on the internet, or what I listen to on the radio, or the way I talk to my spouse, or you name it. We know what 100% surrender is. And that's what it means for the old man to be crucified. When the old man is crucified, we become one flesh with Christ. Now I realize that um, I've spent the whole time just on a few verses, but this is a crucial section to understand. And once you understand this, then when Paul talks about being carnal, sold under sin, doing the things he doesn't want to do, and not doing the things he wants to do, when you're sold under sin, that's the same concept of being a servant to sin. When you're sold under something, you're a slave. Slaves are sold, and they're under their master. And when you're sold under sin, you were a servant of sin very clearly. So he says, I am carnal, sold under sin, for the good that I would, that do I not. And that is the experience, and we're going to talk about this next week, of someone who knows what is right, they know the law, but they don't have the power to keep it. The old man is still alive and well, but they want to be married to Christ, but they can't let that old man go. There's, just, there's a few good things there about him that we keep him around. So, let me just, um, let's see, how far did we get? We got to verse 5. Well, let's finish um, verse 6. 
So verse 5 again, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So instead of bringing fruit unto God, we bring fruit unto death when we're in the flesh. Verse 6, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So when we serve in newness of the spirit, or newness of spirit, when we serve, we're servants. And in Romans 6, it talks about being raised to walk in newness of life. Here we have newness of spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter, which would be we know what's right, so we try to keep it, but we don't have the power to keep it. Um, so that's where, uh, we'll just do the first six verses tonight. And then we'll do, we should be able to get through verses 7 through 25 next week. But I just want to say one more time, if you look at Romans 7, the first few verses, the key points are this, a woman is married to a, her husband, and as long as he's alive, she's bound by the law to be married to him because they are one flesh. If he dies, she's freed from the law of that husband to be married to another man. But remember, the same law still applies. Once she marries the new man, she needs to stay faithful to him. Same with us. We were dead in trespasses and sins, married to the old man. But then the old man is crucified, so we're now free from the law of that man to be married to a new man, who is Christ. But when we get married to Christ, it's not like we can go back and forth between husbands. The old man is dead, and we stay married to Christ the rest of our lives. We're faithful. And when we have that experience, we are a new creature, and we have the experience of the mystery of godliness, which is being one flesh with Christ, which is to say Christ is living in us. And when God's remnant people have the experience of being one flesh with Christ, the mystery of God will be finished, and Revelation 18 will be fulfilled, where the earth is lightened with the glory of the character of God. And I might say, and I got some of my ideas from good old Dr. Wagner, E.J. Wagner, for the study tonight. Not all of them, a few of them. But I might say, this is what Wagner and Jones were teaching in 1888. And Ellen White says this message was the beginning of the loud cry. So what we're studying is the loud cry message. The question is, do we have the loud cry experience? And that's something that only we can ask ourselves between us and God. But it's crucial. We want to see Jesus come. You know, I'm tired of this world. What's the attraction? So we can have a few letters after our name and make a few dollars so that the banks can crash and we can lose our retirement? I mean, seriously, come on. What are we living for? Are we married to Christ? Or are we still married to the old man? Let's be married to Christ.